וגם אני פתאום Welcome back to another episode of Kolo. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, Director of the Columbus Community Kolo, and it's a great honor and privilege to welcome all of you back to our next episode featuring Rabbi Mordechai Becher. Rabbi Becher is someone that speaks all over the place to so many different types of people on so many different topics. Um, it's a great zechus uh, that we get to feature him on Kolo where we get to ask him many questions on many different topics. Uh, we get to talk to him about how he trains people to answer tough questions uh, in Yiddishkeit and also some commonly asked questions in Yiddishkeit. We discuss the importance and beauty of Shabbos, why Shabbos is awesome, which is what we'll entitle this episode. And he also shares some reflections of his Rebbe, her of Moshe Shapiro. So a very enjoyable episode. I think you'll enjoy very much. To sponsor a Kolot episode, please email me, sponsorkolot at gmail.com. Once again, that is sponsorkolot at gmail.com. This episode's sponsor is Restart. Restart is a career development platform which offers complimentary access to log in and work with live career advisors who will help find meaningful employment opportunities that match what you are looking for. To learn more, visit www.joinrestart.com. Once again, www.joinrestart.com and learn about your employment opportunities today. And without any further ado, allow me to tell you about our guest. Rabbi Mordechai Becher, originally from Australia, is an instructor at Yeshiva University and alumni Rebbe of Neve Yerushalayim College. He received his ordination from the Chief Rabbinate of Israel and the Chief Rabbi of Jerusalem and holds an MA in Medieval Jewish History from the Bernard Revel Graduate School. He taught at Or Sameach and Neve Yerushalayim in Jerusalem and served in the Israeli Defense Force. Rabbi Becher has answered thousands of questions on AskTheRabbi.org presents Talmud class, Dimensions of the Daf for the Jewish Broadcasting Service, and was senior lecturer for Gateways for 20 years. Rabbi Becher's latest book, Gateway to Judaism, published by Artscroll, is in its 10th printing. He has taught in the USA, Canada, England, Israel, South Africa, Australia, Russia, and many other places as well. Rabbi Becher, thank you so much for joining Kolot. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for uh, inviting me. So I've had the privilege to see you and, and hear you in person a few times, but I wonder if you could share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, so um, as you mentioned in the in the bio, um, I am from Melbourne, Australia. Um, so I had a, a sort of an interesting educational background. We I went to a Jewish day school called Beit Sefer Chaim Nachman Bialik, of course, Chaim Nachman Bialik was the great Hebrew Zionist poet. Um, I think a graduate of Velozhin. I don't know if he graduated, but okay, but from Velozhin. And um, so it was a, 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 a traditional school, but secular Zionist, um, very uh, strong Hebrew uh, background, a lot of love of the land of Israel, the state of Israel, etc. Very warm and a lot of love for, for Jews in general. Uh, I then... Um, uh, actually um, went to a program when I was about 13 
that was run by Yeshiva University called Counterpoint. And uh, my sister, who's two years older than me, we both went to that program and um, we got more into um, observance. And um, I then decided to uh, go to the Lubavitch Yeshiva High School in Melbourne, which my parents were quite happy about. And um, uh, my parents were very happy about the whole direction everything was taking and the whole family moved in that direction, started walking to shul on Shabbos, et cetera. And had a you know very you know, great experience four years at the uh, Lubavitch High School, and I went from there to Itri, which couldn't be more different than both of the previous experiences I had. It was a Litvish, is a Litvish uh, Haredi yeshiva in Israel, but it had a large section of English speakers, and it had some amazing, amazing rabbonim goinim, Rav Shloma Fisher alav shalom, Rav Asher Rubinstein alav shalom. Uh, uh, oh, actually, um, and just a, an amazing, amazing place to be at. And then afterwards, I had this chus of um, going to the split from Itri, known as Split Tree, um, which is in Unsdorf. It's one of the seven dwarfs. And um, there I had the uh, amazing chus of being a Talmud of Moshe Shapiro, who gave daily sheer was in the yeshiva every day for about eight years. Uh, had a tremendous uh, uh, amount of interaction with him, which was incredible. Got married during that time. So anyway, it's a little bit of background. And I actually ended up getting into Chinuch because on the advice and of Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, I went back to Australia to do a cure of program in Sydney, which was called Counterpoint, based, but it was run by Nevei Yerushalayim. And um, that's... I, after that experience, I said, I love teaching. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, that's, that's, and also, I, I shouldn't say incidentally, I also met my wife there. Um, and uh, so, uh, from who was also on the program for Nevei Yerushalayim, who I currently work for as well. So, uh, anyway, that was, and, and actually now I teach at Yeshiva University in their Kirov program called JSS. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really come full circle from that initial encounter with Counterpoint Yeshiva University and then moving to Counterpoint, which was run by Neve, and then now back and teaching in the Yeshiva University's um, Machina or introductory or cure of program called JSS. So that's a little bit of background. Um, I have uh, um, I live in Passaic. Uh, my wife uh, teaches in Beis Yaakov here and uh, also for Sarah Schneerer, research psychology i don't know what she's teaching something of a psychological nature and um i have uh children in israel and uh here and anyway that's 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 a little bit of a, just a fill in on the bio i understand that you do a lot of teaching for people that are going into kirov rechokim into jewish outreach um what are some of the hot button issues questions that you know, come your way and how you train people to answer them as well hmm yeah, it's interesting. Uh, interesting question. I actually did a session recently at the Torah Convention um, in Pennsylvania, not the one in Florida. Anyway, so um, uh, in which we spoke about question answers. I asked people what type of questions they were getting in their schools. Uh, some type of interesting because uh, the questions you get, which are hot button topics, are not just from non from crowds. Mm-hmm. They're from the the kids in the Torah High schools as well. 
microphone. And uh, that's something to keep in mind. Everyone has questions. In fact, if you don't have questions, I think it's a sign you're not really thinking. Right, doesn't yeah. <laughs> right? How can you go through life without questions? I mean, it's like seriously. Um, so, um, anyway, uh, I, I think one of the things that I try to teach is that to first of all listen to the question. Don't make assumptions of what the question is based on a a word that triggers you. Oh, they said you know, and then then you're not even answering the question; you're just addressing the trigger word. Right. Uh, um, or uh, trying to uh, figure out, as a lot of people claim they can do, which I, I think is ridiculous, is uh, what's what's the emotional issue bothering them that, that makes them ask this intellectual question? Because it's clearly not an intellectual question. I said, Seriously, you're disrespecting the person who's asked the question. Right. Uh, well, maybe it is an intellectual question. And maybe they had emotional reasons to ask it, but that doesn't make the question invalid just because he had emotional reasons to ask the question. <laughs> so, and 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 third. How do you have, if, if you're not, even if you are a trained psychologist, but generally people who are, they're not trained psychologists, and even a trained psychologist, in on the basis of one question, that means a two-minute interaction with someone in a public crowd, you're, spo- you're now going to analyze them and what, what's, what's, what's going through their minds and address that? Give me a break. All right. So I do try to tell people to don't do that and to actually answer the question. Um, I think... Uh, it's important, uh, if you can, to give some multi- uh, multiple answers, to give some alternative answers. I prefer the shotgun to the sniper rifle, um, meaning there's a shotguns uh, have a spray. Right? It's a spread of the pellets. So you don't have to be such a good aim. But you see, one pellet or so will hit something. In other words, I feel if I can give three answers to the question, Right, they, they may not like the first answer or the third. They may like the second, right, and and so on. So that will be a, a, another point. And um, so what are so those are some of the techniques I would say that that are important. Um, and to 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 also every time you answer a question, there's really there's two components. Actually, Rabbi David Gottlieb taught me this. Rabbi Doctor David Gottlieb, one of my mentors, and um, you know, I'm a fan. So, uh, but. Um, one of the things he said is that when you answer a question, there's two components. There's refutation and explanation. Refutation means that I um, I am attacking the premise of your question, showing that it's actually not necessarily valid. But that's not enough. I also have to explain my point of view. On the other hand, if I only explain my to, my point of view without showing where the mistake is in your premise, then I lack an authority. So the combination is a good combination. They, I, think, not, uh, I think politicians only do one of those, but okay. Politicians do neither. neither. They just say what they want to say, and your question just happens to be a springboard for it. Right. Um, I don't think I've ever heard a politician actually answer a question directly. Now, I, it just hasn't happened. Now it could be I just I don't listen to politicians that much, but in my experience I haven't heard it. But it's interesting. There's a story they tell Rubyosev Dov Soloveitchik, the Bay Salevi. Uh, I'm, I'm contractually obligated to quote a Soloveitchik once a month, so I teach it while you. But anyway, but Rav, the Bay Salevi used to say that um, that when people would come to him for a kasha with a kasha, they'd come in happy and they'd leave happy. They'd come to his son Rav Chaim, they'd come in happy. No one would be happy. When they left, why he said, 
Because someone comes to me, they've got a good kasha. I acknowledge it's a good question. I give them a good answer. Everyone's happy. They come to my son, Reb Chaim. He shows them the kushia meter correlator. There's no question even from the beginning. Didn't even start. So you didn't have a question. I didn't answer a question. So no one's happy. So the truth is, um, I think you need a combination of Reb Chaim and the Beisel lady. <laughs> it's like, you know, you know so, so that's uh, the refutation that, and, uh, um, but so, uh, what are the hot topics? I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with many topics that come up continuously. Um, uh, one topic which is often asked is about suffering. Um, that, uh, and that's asked in two different ways. Uh, one is it is asked as a, the, uh, the, the existence of gratuitous evil would seem to be a contradiction to a benevolent, omniscient and omnipotent god um because he knows about it he could stop it and and he and he doesn't so so that's evidently the that so they would say that means there can't be a god it's a contradiction to god right and the other aspect of it is why would god do this so both of those questions you know so first of all you know in terms of refutation i would question the premise why why is it so that the existence of evil is a contradiction to God. Can you not conceive of any possible reason that something bad could be happening to someone good? No possible reason. I think there are plenty, right? I, uh, so uh, the the, um, the uh, idea that um, sometimes it's a challenge. I don't know. As as you mentioned in my bio, I was in the IDF. I wasn't in a combat unit. I was in the rabbinate. I have three sons who are in combat units, but. Basic training is brutal, very brutal, right? Uh, my sons uh, went through, one was a paratrooper. Uh, my gosh, the training is very rough. But the purpose of that training is to produce someone who can survive in a battlefield condition. Right? And uh, actually, as Heinrich Heine uh, once pointed out, um, great German poet, um, he said, without tension, there is no creativity. Uh, William James put it differently. He said, "Violins only produce good music if the if if the strings are stretched." Mm-hmm. Right, and and so you know there are obvious and and the Ramchal in Derech Hashem has twelve reasons that things that everything happens in this world, and that's something I try to explain to people. Some of those twelve, re- he, originally he says he has twelve. I mean, it doesn't doesn't list it in a list like that, but I'm saying we can summarize twelve reasons for anything that happens to everyone, right? And every single one of those reasons is legitimate and is a valid reason and, and actually fits in with Hashem's plan, obviously. It has to fit in with Hashem's plan, right? Um, so so that, that's one one issue. Another issue um, that comes up is the, and that's something which you alluded to um, uh, in your email about the whole idea of Shabbos, but, but the Hashem's or halachic concern for apparently nitpicking minor details like as if judaism has a gigantic um ocd um uh, problem and um uh, and that that's that's something which people like oh come on seriously so you know there there i do try to explain to people and i think it's important that uh in as much and this is again from the ramchal but in as much as hashem is perfect independent 
and shalim becholmin ashlaim was complete in every aspect of completeness. It means anything he is doing or saying or commanding is not for his benefit because he doesn't need anything. So it's only for our benefit. And the benefit, right? And and as we know, um, details are important for anyone who's put a sent out an email missing a dot or with an extra dot. Um, these are important, right? Uh, um, misspell the email and the money that you sent by Zell is now in who knows where, oblivion, etc. Right? So details are important, but not only that, um, life is complex and every action has an impact on the inner self. Say famous Sefer Achinuch, Adam Nifal Kefipu Uloisav, person's inner self is affected by their outer actions. And we can observe this all the time. And 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 so yeah, care of actions is 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 important. And not only that, but we believe that everything in the world has a potential for sanctity, transcendence, and holiness. And therefore, to utilize everything in the world in that way, however minor it is, I think is really important. In the Eastern world, they call it mindfulness. And mindfulness is well respected. Well, guess what? Halacha is that too, right? And, uh, and, and, and halacha is to, is to be mindful of every aspect of life, which is really important. Yeah. You know, um, I, I know it sounds somewhat, I'm just talking to my son about this, uh, about, um, we were talking about um, microaggression and trigger words and and so on. Those are real. I don't think it's not real, right? People, uh, Jews have experienced micro. We've experienced ma- ma- macroaggression as well. But I'm saying in the workplace, in college, don't Jews appear, do, do we not experience that? Right? The Gemara says that you should. There's a there's an expression for hanging a fish up to smoke a fish or something like that. The same expression is used for hanging of someone who is executed. So if you're in the Gemara says, if you're with someone, you're talking to someone who has a relative who is executed. Don't use that word. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a trigger. It's a, it's not right. That's, that's a minor detail. Yes. But isn't that it, for the other person? It's not minor. The Gemara says, do not denigrate a non-Jew in the presence of a con- I mean, you shouldn't anyway denigrate people, but, but, um, but okay, let's say you're a little loose about that, but in the presence of a convert, definitely not. Right. I mean, then you're hurting them. So, so I think I try to explain to people the details are important, uh, not only in circuits, but also in people um, and, uh, and, and how that helps us and so on. Uh, another hot topic comes up a lot. Free will, free will. Yes, I mean there are some uh, there are some pretty aggressive atheists out there who um, claim not all because there are some atheists who believe in free will. They believe there is free will, right? And uh, um, and some major scientists, most philosophers do. Uh, but nevertheless, there are, you got these uh, aggressive, outspoken atheists who uh, say free will is an illusion. There's no free will, and so on and so forth. And people who really buy into that. Right. So, uh, that's, that's, a t- and, and, you know, so you start talking about free will. People say, yeah, but if God knows, and, you know, the standard questions, right. And, and it's important to be able to answer. And there are answers to these questions. I mean, uh, just to, to name, uh, three books that address a beautifully good friend of mine, Rabbi Akiva Tatz. Sure. Uh, we were in Yeshiva together, um, both in Mishkan Torah and, um, actually helped treat my hepatitis at the time. Thank you, Akiva. Anyway, and, um, but uh, 
he has got a book on freedom free, and free will. I think that's what it's called, freedom, free will, and 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 decisions or choices, something like that. Excellent deals with a lot of those questions. Another friend of mine who is also in yeshiva with us, Rabbi Jeremy Kagan, um, runs a women's seminary now, but he has written a number of major, excellent books. Also, Talmud of Moshe, um, but the choice to be, mm-hmm. excellent book, and a colleague of mine at. Yeshiva University, Nasanel, Rabbi Nasanel Wiederblank, um, has written a 500-page monumental work about free will, which addresses all these issues. So people who do have questions, they can be answered, and uh, and I, you know, there are lots of answers out there. Well, uh, um, no shortage of reading material, sounds correct. like. Correct. Uh, another uh, hot-button topic that comes up, especially if you are talking to a college crowd, non-from college crowd, is Israel. Mm-hmm. A lot of propaganda against Israel um, out there. A lot of hatred. I mean, and I am understating when I say a lot of hatred. I am very much understating it. There's a, there's a, and 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 I think it's important uh, for us to know how to answer that as well. Um, we actually just did a joint course, Yeshua uh, University. We just actually just wrote a course for for Chabad the sea teens which is their outreach program for teenagers they 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 have done a number of courses that yu has written for them which they schlich and give one of them i just did was on israel a land of israel uh mitzvahs of israel kedusha of israel etc etc but a large part of it was countering anti-israel propaganda and uh and and uh defending uh, the actions of the IDF, which I think is, I think is that's important. That's that's the type of thing which really splits people off from the Jewish people and from Torah as well. So uh, I think that's a uh, and and obviously from truth. Uh, just, you know, so uh, that's another topic which which comes up. Yeah, I think in the world of of Kirov, but not just in Kirov Rechokim, we would say Kirov Krovim, right? Well, um, bringing people closer to Judaism, there seems to be this. Um, I don't want to say obsession because that has like the negative connotation, but this tremendous focus on Shabbos. Every single day we pray, right? Every, when we dot, we say Hayom Yom Rishon the Shabbos. Today is the first day after Shabbos, etc. And we do that every single day of the week. So, like, seems like everything revolves around Shabbos, right? How do we understand what is the significance on a super high level? What is the significance between Shabbos, the relationship that we should have with Shabbos, and why do so many things seem to revolve around it? Yeah, it is actually, it's a a good question. Uh, It is certainly true that many, many, I wouldn't say everything, but many aspects of the Torah do uh, revolve around Shabbos, and many aspects of 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 the life of a committed Jew definitely revolve around Shabbos. In other words, yeah, uh, we think about it. If I'm choosing a place to live, right? So Jews choosing a house, right? First question they're probably going to ask is, how far is it from the shul? Is it inside the eruv? Right? Those are Shabbos questions. I'm buying that. I'm living in the house six days out of seven as well, right? But I'm buying the house, right? Because and we arrange our lives around that, right? And and uh, it is type of interesting. And I think. Obviously, from a uh, sociological and psychological perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Right? Here is a time when the community and families are not scattered and separate, mafuzar and mafayrad, 
We are type of within walking distance of each other. We can go for a spazier, a, a walk on Shabbos. We're not worried about parking. We're not worried about psychopathic New York and New Jersey drivers trying to run me off the road because I need to merge, right? We are we are spending a day where I'm not checking the NASDAQ and the Hansing and the FTSE and the, and the and the TAYS or anything like that, right? Where I don't care what's happening on the email, the stock market. Psychologically, that's unbelievable. Think of what that does for us. Right? Think of the peace of mind. We don't have to think of it. I'm sure you're a Shabbos observant, you are the probably a requirement in the job as, you know, director of the COLA, right? So, so yeah, um, it's unbelievable. And also from a communal perspective, this is when the community gets it. I schmooze with people without being distracted by the stupid buzzing of my phone, right? We can schmooze, we can talk to the family, we can talk to each other, we can have slow meals. We're going to, wow, unbelievable. So as a great Hebrew poet said, more than the Jews kept the Shabbos, the Shabbos kept the Jews. So that's that's one reason a lot of stuff revolves around it. So psychological, sociological, etc. Now, also, the fact is that the Torah tells us and gives us two, there are two different reasons given for the mitzvah of Shabbos in the Torah. One in Shmois, Parshas Yisra, in one version of the Aseris Hadibras, the Ten Commandments, and the other in Devorim, Parshas Vayeschanan. One says that Shabbos reminds us of creation. The great cycle of the seven-day week, by the way, is not based on a natural cycle. It's not like the month to 29 and a half days, whatever, right? Uh, the, the, The cycle of the moon, right? It's not like the seasons, which is based on the cycle of the sun. It's not like a day where, right? These are all natural cycles. They make sense, okay? Seven days, it only makes sense in the in the context of Hashem creating and resting, create right. So, which is which is beautiful. Whether however you understand that, right, pshutoi or or, or or mystical or whatever it is, but that's the pattern, right? And so, therefore, it's a testimony. And in fact, right, the 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 Shabbos is a testimony to our belief in Hashem in a in a free willed Creator creating the world with a purpose. Right? What could be more fundamental than that? Shabbos actually testifies to that. So, um, and and uh, and as as you know, we have various customs minhagim that 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 uh, that you know that um, surround that testimony. But and and the Gemara actually tells us that that one who publicly and deliberately and brazenly transgresses Shabbos in the presence of a group of Jews who are observing it. Is really, it's like he's. It's almost the the Gemara says is tantamount to idolatry, to denial. Rashi there says one who worships idols has denied Hashem. One who transgresses Shabbos has denied Hashem's creation and connection to the world. So yeah, it is pretty central. It, you couldn't get more central than that in the Torah than the that Hashem. And by the way, the fact that Hashem creates the world, those first three words, Bereshis Bora Elohim, in the beginning God created, that tells us, first of all, that there's a purpose and that there's a value. And not only that, but if the creation happens as a deliberate act of a free will God, as Rav Hirsch says, Rav Sansa Rav Hirsch, that's where we derive our free will from. Right? So that is, that's one, right? Now, the second reason given for Shabbos 
is that we were slaves in Egypt. Hashem took us out of there. Right. So you're no longer slaves. Now, as you as you know, a slave is 24-7, 365. Right. The, the fact that we stop working shows we're not enslaved. Right. So uh and and um as as a great Jewish scholar once put it, I think it was Heschel, he said uh he said Hashem took us out of Egypt. He says Shabbos is there to get Egypt out of us. Uh-huh. And uh, very, very well said. And uh, it's true, right? Because what it does is it, it, it type of frees me from from a lot of the the uh, Lilliputian strings tying me down, uh, etc., and uh, allows me to soar a little bit higher, right? Get back to my roots, transcend, little little poetry, song, meditation, learning, and so on and so forth. That's like a, that's really important. That's uh, that, that's uh, very central. So I think that's why so much of our life and our week and everything else does revolve around uh, around Shabbos. So you mentioned about how good it is just for the person himself or herself, um, irrespective of just you know if it being a mitzvah, but like how good it is for the family, for the community to take a walk, to to disconnect and reconnect, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. But- but Shabbos also seems so restricting. I mean, like you wish it was just 39 things you can't do, right? It, there's so many things learned from this and so many things learned from that. And, you know, somehow like you have this vision in your head, like, you know, cutting toilet paper, like, you know, 10 minutes before Shkia, hopefully more than 10 minutes. But the point is that you're running into the Shabbos with this rush. Oh, make sure you light, you know, you light on time and make sure that you, you know, that you, uh, they, you know, that you left the flame on, the blachas on, all, all these different things. And like Shabbos is supposed to be like this day of rest. It, sometimes could seem so restricting well i guess it depends on your on your perspective first and foremost um with any situation is based on uh any situation you find yourself in proper planning and appropriate uh timing of that planning is important for the event to be not stressful Right. So uh, so the truth of the matter is, if you plan things correctly and if you do things in a systematic way, there is absolutely no reason that it should be stressful. Granted, right. uh, When you have little kids, uh, that's easier said than done. But it's still possible. It's still possible. And um, and and I think a lot like just just give you give you an example. I once went one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, went on a uh, hike with uh, uh, two of two friends of mine and our three three of our sons, and we we hiked in the Canadian Rockies five days camping, um, camping out and just hiking. It was unbelievable experience, um, and uh, the planning, the the more meticulously you plan for that the more time you put into preparing the dehydrated foods and the containers and making sure the weight's low, the more you enjoy the experience. We ha- we met another group. Uh, they were having a horrific time. It was Gehinnom for them, right? Partially because they just didn't plan things. I mean, you know, you don't go on a hike and take a can of olives with you as your, no, don't take cans. What are you, stupid? Anyway, but, so the same is true of Shabbos. That's not number one, number one, uh, planning. And, 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 uh, number two, the 39, uh, prohibitions, right? First of all, 
the vast majority of them, uh, or not the vast majority, but many of them do not affect me at all. I don't think I've ever plowed or threshed or winnowed in my entire life. The fact that I cannot plow, thresh, or winnow on Shabbos, irrelevant. Right now, there are um, there are things in life um, which which uh, again, uh, when you become used to it, it's also that's also the the issue. See, if I'm if I'm if someone who has not grown up or is not has not kept Shabbos for a long time. They're just experiencing it for the first time. It can feel that way. And it totally makes makes total sense. It would feel that way, right? But if your life is designed around it, right? in other words, if, yeah, I, I wake up one morning, decide I want to keep Shabbos, but I live five miles from the nearest shul. I don't have a time clock in the entire house. I do not own a warming tray. I don't have an urn who has urns, right, et cetera, right, uh, then, then it's going to be rough. But I'll tell you what, yeah, but but if you plan it correctly and you have these stuff, you know, the uh, good friend, Rabbi Warren Goldstein, chief rabbi of South Africa. So I was there a couple of months ago for the Shabbos project. Um, was there a few, I've been there like six times, but whatever. The last time I was there for the Shabbos project. So the idea of the Shabbos project was and is – and Rabbi Goldstein has been very effective, is tra- is teaching secular Jews to be able to keep it themselves. They give them a, a source book with instructions. They have kits. They'll have a blech. They have a uh, they have, right, color bakes and stuff like that. And people love doing it. People love doing it, right, because they've, they've, they're owning it. They're doing it themselves. Unfortunately, when it was, when it was moved to the United States, people in the States, so then... Cure of organizations just saw as another opportunity for a Shabbaton. Come to my house for Shabbos, right? Come to my, come to our hotel for Shabbos. That's not the idea. The idea is that you are empowering a family to do Shabbos themselves, right? And, and that's, that's real. And it is empowering and, and it is possible to do it. And yeah, look, also there's, there's a sociological issue as well. Like, for example, teenagers, many, many teenagers. Their primary method of communication is, yeah, right. It's not not even talking. Not just teenagers, but yeah, but yeah, that's, that's true. But but yeah, so so it's true. Shabbos doesn't allow you to do that. So I do understand that can be very restricting, and they can I, feel. And I do understand that it's a challenge for them. Yeah. But I think that that the benefit of learning to communicate by normal, by speech, by body language, et cetera, right? Uh, you know, I think that's so important for human development mm-hmm. that it's worth a little restriction here. So I, I'm just curious, how would you explain to someone why turning on a phone is desecrating Shabbos? Like, I thought it's supposed to be a day of rest. How does, how, how does a simple act of pressing an on button desecrate the holiest thing that we have? Yeah, it's 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 a good question. I usually, when I teach Shabbos, I start by telling them a story. When I was actually in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong twice for Shabbos. But the first time I was there, I was on the ninth floor of a hotel, and I had left something in my room. And I'm schlepping up the staircase, and you know, I don't know, fifth, sixth floor. I'm 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 feeling a little pain in my left side, and you know, some blurry vision, you know, shortness of breath. And there's a waiter coming down. And he sees me, he says, excuse me, sir, why don't you use the elevator? And I said, because it's my day of rest. <laughs> Very good. And he thought I'm insane. 
right? Absolutely insane. Now, what I could, what I should have explained to him had I had a oxygen and b Cantonese um, is is that um, the Torah actually defines rest in a very specific way. It doesn't say relaxation. It says cessation of certain activities is the way the Torah defines it. You know, if I would ask a physicist what is work, so the physicist would say work is force times displacement. That's not the Torah's definition. If I would ask a, a tax accountant what is work, tax accountant would say where well, anything you get paid for. That's not the Torah's definition. The Torah has its own unique definition of work regarding Shabbos that is defined by 39 activities. So um, so uh, that means, and and the way Rav Samson Raphael Hirsch understands it, all the activities are activities that show the um, the 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 uh, humans' um, ability to shape their environment by a constructive exercise of intelligence. He says, when we when we come to Shabbos, what we say is, I'm stepping back from that shaping of my environment, from turning the world into a more utilitarian place, from constructive exercise in my alternatives. I'm going to like come and bet vayinafash. Come back into the nefesh, the soul, right? Take a breath out, right? Right, and and that involves not involving, not doing those specific actions. So there's a so now the question you have to ask is where does in those actions, where does pressing the button on the elevator come into that, or turning on and off a circuit come into that? So then that's that becomes a little more of a technical discussion, right? Which one of the 39 malachot? So there are three different approaches to that, right? There's the approach, one approach is the Chazonish of Avram Yeshaya Karelitz in the 1950s, who who made the argument that, look, any electric device or electronic device, if there's no power flowing through it, it's a useless pile of junk. Be- Big lump of stupid silicon sitting there, right? Nothing, right? If it's if it, it when you close the circuit, it's a technical term for closing the circuit, right? You've seen those diagrams, right? You close the circuit, and now you've caused electron flow through the circuit. You've now turned it from a useless pile of junk into a useful, functioning piece of machinery. He said that comes under the aegis of what we call building, creating an implement. The Talmud says if you take a whitewashing brush and put the put the 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 um I don't know if people can see me, so I'm just doing okay. It could be it's just recorded here. I don't know. In any case just audio. But but if you put the handle of the whitewashing brush into the actual receptacle of the brush, all right, and it's gonna it's not it's gonna it's not gonna be effective. It'll fall out. So you have to have this little hole drilled into the wood and to, to the metal and you put a thing called a cotter pin a little pin in there that putting the pin in there has n- is no effort whatsoever i mean the in terms of force bias displacement there's very few the kilojoules expended here a physicist would 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 laugh at right but that act is significant because it has turned this into something which is useless into something which is useful and that's a constructive exercise of human intelligence, much the same as closing an electric circuit, right? The elevator and so on and so forth. In fact, running up and down stairs, my dog 
could have done much better than I did, right? Much, much faster. I remember when I was a kid in Melbourne, leaning over the back stairs of my house and my yarmulke, which was significantly smaller than my current yarmulke, fell off and my dog saw it and I saw it. I said, no, right? And he was very excited. I always try to get my yarmulke. And he was so excited. He ran down the stairs. He ran much faster than I did. He was so excited that he swallowed the yarmulke whole. Right. If he, my current yarmulke would kill him if he swallowed that, but that one was okay. So anyway, but the, the point is that going, the ability to go up and down stairs, to lift weights, to run fast, et cetera, those are not uniquely human abilities. They don't display anything about the human creativity or human greatness or power. Closing an electric circuit and causing a small room to rise up nine floors, an elevator, right? Uh, communicating with someone uh, by an incredible right series of circuits that send out radio waves and so on to a satellite, and it, to a cell phone tower, etc. That is something that only the human can do. And that's something which really does display our power and creativity, which is what Hashem wants us to refrain from on Shabbos, to back off and chill. Right. That's why the one, pro, and I didn't mention the other ways of looking at it. Minchas Asher of Asher Weiss talks about the idea that, that um, based on a Yerushalmi, that, um, uh, that when the sages saw an act which was significant and indeed displayed that amazing creativity, they put it under the general uh, ruling of 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 makeh befatish, the, the hitting with a hammer, I, the final blow, the, the, etc. That's another approach. But okay, but basically, you know, the the one malacha, the one work which the Torah singles out, is fire. Why fire? So very very simply, first of all, fire is the basis of almost all technology, mm-hmm. whether it's metallurgy, glass, chemistry, cooking. Right. Uh, what, what doesn't use fire, right? Baking silicon chips. I don't know everything, right? So, so, and fire, the human is the only being that actually controls and use fire, right? As is explicit in the jungle book, right? So, so, um, we use fire because fire shows the human ability to, to harness the energy in creation and shape and mold and create. So, you know what? We're supposed to shape and mold and create on Shabbos as well. But what we shape, mold, and create on Shabbos is ourselves and our souls and our relationships, not the cement stairs or the sharp stick, right? Or the circuit or the metal or the aluminum or, or the bauxite and so on. That's that's not what it's about. So that's, I think, would be the way I'd understand it. But I do recognize that for some people it is very challenging. But, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if I, I don't play any any musical instruments, but but you know I do know people who play musical instruments. So the piano, person plays piano, right? For years, it's going to be quite difficult. Their their hands, fingers are going to get cramped. They're playing, you know, the chords. They're play, and then eventually they move on to green sleeves, which they play. This got some. Eastern European Jew glaring at them over the metronome, right? Trying to play the the piano etc right and and it's painful etc but you know eventually when the person picks up the ability to play and they integrate all of those lessons into their muscle memory and 
brain memory, etc., then they have true freedom. Now they can sit down at a piano and play a beautiful a piano sonata, uh, a piece of uh, just right. It's fantastic stuff. Right, the same is true with halacha. It can be give you cramps right when you're first starting off, and it can be seem restrictive. But when you integrate it into your life, and when it becomes part of you, you become part of it. Then actually, it's really you can create a beautiful symphony. Uh, through that, just like with the with with musical instruments, right? Many areas in life have very specific rules about them, but when you follow the rule, once you get to integrate those, then it becomes a lot of fun. What are the things I love um, about Yiddishkeit? Um, well, first of all, I, I, this in not not in any particular order, but I guess it must be a particular order because if it hits me first, that that tells you something. But okay, I'm not going to psychoanalyze myself here, but. Um, one thing which is I particularly love is the uh, the communication beyond time and place that I get involved in in the Torah. Meaning, I sit down. I'm looking at Chumash, written three thousand three hundred years ago, right and the language is a language that I understand, the language that my grandchildren Israel speak in school. Right? It's a it's a language which is you know is used in high tech and in oh, it was unbelievable. And I'm reading this right. I mean, how many people can pick up something from three thousand three hundred years ago in any particular society and read it and understand it and also get the cultural context and and the artifacts and all that stuff? That's incredible. And then. I might be, I'll, I'll then look at the Targum Onkelos, some Roman convert from the second, first century, right? And, and, and he's translating into Aramaic, which is language that, that like maybe a few people in Iraq speak today. And the only other people do it are academics and Jews, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm translating into Aramaic. I was, wow. And then I'm looking at Rashi from France, Tois in France from 10, you know, the 11th century. Right? And, 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 and the, the Ramban from Spain. And then, and basically, um, I am, and then, you know, I might look at as a, an idea from Minchas Asher, from Asher Weiss, an American Rav who's now living in Israel, Tamachot. Like, there is a, I'm time traveling. I, 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 I type of like, as a, as a Jew, <laughs> there's an incredible, before the internet, right? We Jews were connected all over. The Rambam was answering questions of Jews in France and Spain and Morocco and Israel, and he wrote a letter to the Jews of Yemen, and he and, and his brother traded in India, and and wow, right? And and uh, so, so that's that's one thing I love about Yiddishkeit is the eternal component of it, the fact that it's beyond time and space. That I'm totally, um, here I am, like integrating and communicating and 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 in a dimension of which is which is beyond my little narrow you know tiny tiny slice of time and space in which we live right uh, but if you're if you're jewish then you actually that's that's like a that's connected to to eternity so that's number 1 number 2 i i i, I love shabbos that's uh, as you may have guessed but but i i it's uh, it's unbelievable. I just um, I love Shabbos in every way, and um, 
just all the aspects of it, uh, the, uh, the, the, I, I feel, I, you know, sitting there at the table, I often comment to this. So my, my, my children have eye problems because they're, they're rolling their eyes so often. <sighs> Here we go again. Right. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sitting there. I, I feel like, a, I feel like royalty. Great wine. Fantastic home baked whole wheat color. My wife makes unbelievable. Right. Beautiful food. You know, we 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 might sing as mirror. We'll we'll talk about stuff. We we're bechers, so we usually argue about stuff. But but you know, it, the, there's something magical about it, which which I love. I also love uh, the sitter. I love davening, and I love the sitter. It's like, first of all, to heal him, you know. And Phyllis in general, you know, I think it was the Chaznish made this observation. If you ask most people, define prophecy. What will they say? Hashem speaking to you, which is true. Hashem speaking to you. That's prophecy. This is, however, to heal him, Psalms, that's all prophecy, but it's the exact opposite. It's the human speaking to Hashem. So he observed you don't just need prophecy for to hear what Hashem is saying, but you need prophecy to speak to to know what you should be. So there's something also incredible about these words, which again written by King David and ten others, and and the unshaken Nessus Agadola two thousand five hundred years ago or so, right? And the words still have like reverberate and have meaning for me and. And, and express things that I want to express in the 21st century in New Jersey, New York, and right, and 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 uh, again, it's very similar to the Torah, but it's a little on, on a more emotional level, at least. So um, that's something. Also, yeah, I always think of it. Rebuta Halevi actually doesn't say this explicitly, but I, I, I this is the way I understand it. Um, that 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 tefillah is type of like a mini Shabbos. So time out from the daily grind, the rat race, in which you are now in a little bit of a transcendent state. Right. So so type of, I guess, maybe because I like Shabbos, I also like filler. It's also a very beautiful thing. Yeah. Now that's what, now I love that. Oh, those three are great. Thank you. And I guess my final question is, you referenced your Rebbe earlier, Moshe Shapiro, and I, like you said, you could probably we could probably do a whole episode or many episodes just on him. But time is <clears throat> time is not on our side. But can you share with us maybe um, your favorite story, memory, teaching as it relates to your Rabbi Moshe Shapiro? I don't know if I have a favorite, um, but I, I I have just um, there are many things that he uh, he one of the thing he just one thing he said. When um, I, I was living in, we were living in Israel, and Orsamach asked us to move to Toronto, Thornhill. It was a Uzi Omalevsky, Oliver Sholom. It was a Gaon Atsum. And uh, he actually, unfortunately, was Nifter, had a brain tumor. So they asked me to go to Toronto to, to help out there to teach because he wasn't, he wasn't teaching. I ended up staying there for four years. But um, when I left, before I left, so we had this little going away party. Um, at Orsamayach, right? Uh, they were happy to see me go, so they had a party. So, um, and uh, so Reb Moshe was there, and uh, so Reb Moshe Shapiro said, uh, he said, you know, he asked famous question. Uh, the Rambam asked this in Morah uh why Yerushalayim is not mentioned in the Chumash. 
It's mentioned 700 times or so in Nach. But in the Chumash, it's always referred to as as Hashem the place the Lord your God shall choose. It's, never, it's not referred to otherwise. Type of weird. So the Raman gives three reasons. He says, number one, so that the locals should not realize that that's our future capital and hence they'll defend it more vigorously. Right. Secondly, so they shouldn't destroy the mountain where we plan on building the base of Middash. And the Ramam says, thirdly, and most importantly, because uh, the Jews would, would argue endlessly about whose territory it should end up into. So the Torah preferred to, to keep it quiet before the Jews went into Israel. Okay, that's the Ramam's reasons. But uh, Rabbi Shapiro said to me, because um, I was not overly uh, you know, uh, enthusiastic about leaving Israel and going to Toronto, or later on to America, right? So, uh, but he said, he encouraged me in both times to go. Right? And um, so, but one of the things he said stuck with me. It's like interesting, as much as I love Eretz Yisrael, but he said, he says, it talks, he says, Yerushalayim is described as Mokam Yivchar Hashem Alokecha. He says, the place that Hashem will choose for you might not be the geographical Yerushalayim. Your Yerushalayim may end up to be Thornhill, Toronto, may end up to be Passaic, may end up, right, etc. He says, he says, but that's where, that's where Hashem, that's the Mokam Hashem Elokecha. That's why it's not listed as a geographical location. It's just the place, he says, because there are different, not Chasvashon to, 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 to take away from the Kedusha of Yerushalayim, but, but in terms of a personal, right, Mokam that can vary. Depending on where you go, so was that, that stuck with me that idea, right? And uh, very beautiful concept, but beautiful. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your memories about your Rebbe and also your very, very broad knowledge of so many different things of Torah and Yiddishkeit. Uh, thank you for sharing that with our audience. We're uh, very grateful for that, and wishing you continued success, Hatzlacha, in spreading the light and teaching Torah to the masses. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure and honor. Thank you. To listen to all Kolo's episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolo's on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvot at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.